Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we love movies and we never, ever, ever complain about them. And there's absolutely nothing that we dislike about movies ever in history. Um, I am your host, Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. All movies are perfect. All movies are perfect. All producers of films are perfect. All distributors of films are perfect. Nothing bad ever happened until this exact historical moment. That's it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How are you, Karen? Before we get into some of our topics for today. <laughs> uh, I'm okay. I, I'm okay. It may sound a little rough. It's because I've been dealing with some allergies and that's not very fun. Um, especially because I don't normally get them in the summer. It's normally a spring and fall thing, but oh, well, here we are. Welcome to climate change. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, well, I I am here in very damp and humid and gross New York City because we are moving. We're definitely moving into summer here. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I don't like this part. <laughs> like, I want it to yeah. just be spring and 75 and sunny for all time. That's all that I want. That's what it should be all the time. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's we don't live. I don't even know where it's like that all the time. I don't think that there is any place that it's like that all the time. Not anymore. Yeah, you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So for this week, we we have some fun stuff to talk about, actually. I'm really excited about this. Like Um, floating submersibles? (laughs) Oh, God. That's not fun. That was not fun. Bad joke, Karen. Bad. No. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we don't have to talk about that. that. That whole thing is just... Ter- terrible and sad but also sad for other reasons but also terrible for other reasons it's it's just none of it is surprising to me unfortunately but yeah yeah i was talking to a co-worker this week who was just reveling in it he thought it was great and i was like and he didn't understand why anybody didn't think it was like funny that this was happening to these people and i was just like i don't I'm not like sad for them because I don't know them, but I'm not like overjoyed about it either. Like, I just don't actually have any feelings about it. The whole thing is unfortunate, but it's just, it was weird. It's just one of those like social media things. It was just very strange watching the, the duality of opinions, you know? I, I think that the more that you read about it, the more that it's just like, why would anyone agree to get into that? capsule i don't like, know why why would you do that unless you were like a, a scientist or someone like that who's like i'm going to risk my life for this because i'm i'm going to you know we're going to discover but this is like fucking tourism that's that's yeah. part of it like reading about it, i was like what you would pay for that and you would voluntarily get into that and oh yeah and no, it's like, crazy. there's so many red flags, like all over the place. Just like you, you could not pay me to get into that fucking thing. No, um, definitely not. 
Yeah, and and I I think there's a lot to be said about kind of disaster tourism and um, this new kind of extreme tourism and things like that. Um, but at the yeah. same time, it's a horrible way to die. Like I don't oh, think yeah. no one should wish that on anybody, regardless. Um, Agreed. It was more, and the reason that I kind of made that terrible joke about it, um, which I regret, uh, was more about the way that social media reacted than about the incident itself. It was very strange. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're seeing more and more of this, of like big things in the news where you have two complete polar opposite factions, I think. And there's, there's so we talked a little bit about this, I think, just on Slack, that social media has really ruined nuance and, <laughs> and you know, like everything is, is the extremes now. And it's yeah. just it's such a strange, such a strange time. Well, let's talk about that for a little while. So in the film world, um, before yeah. we go on to our our, our bigger topic uh, for today, there has been a an upheaval, I guess one would say, a kerfuffle at, uh, at Warner Brothers Discovery. As, as it feels like every single week there's something that's going on with Warner <laughs> Brothers Discovery. In some that's ways, we're kind of like, yep, this is not, of course this is happening. Why wouldn't it? Like... <laughs> Um, so, you know, if you, if you follow any kind of that, that sort of side of entertainment news, you begin to see more and more like Warner Brothers Discovery is just in a free fall right now. Um, but this in particular has been, uh, something that's going on right now with TCM, which is their Turner, Cla- Turner Classic Movies is their classic movie channel, um, cable channel slash, I believe they also have a watch, T- watch TCM, uh, app that you can log into with your cable provider. Um, and, and essentially a whole bunch of people got fired from TCM and including their head of uh, one of their like long-term programmers. Um, I think one of their long-term marketers. So some of the people who have basically made TCM what it is. Yeah. Um, they basically axed all the upper leadership. Yeah, they yeah. went from 90 employees to 20, I think is the number I saw. And, and of course, the argument is uh, this is cost cutting, uh, all of that stuff. TCM, I think it should be noted, is actually, a, while it is not their like most successful channel or whatever, it is actually profitable um, and, and has kind of been plugging along very nicely for quite some time. So this is quite obviously like Warner Brothers Discovery is sort of seeing where they can cut things and definitely deciding that... Um, that the places where they're going to cut things are in things like TCM, which is this niche market, as far as they're concerned. They're probably wrong, as indeed they have been wrong about pretty much everything since the merger <laughs> and since David Zaslav took over. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so, th- so this has understandably caused a lot of anger and a lot of sorrow and a lot of um, kind of outpouring in the classic film community and with the, and the film community at large, because I think a lot of people understand that TCM has been a very important cultural, uh, I don't know how I wanna put it. It's not a public resource, it's a cultural resource to a certain degree and has been very influential in terms of the understanding of classic film and the contextualization of classic film and just, just people being able to experience it both in, in terms of the channel itself in the TCM festival, um, all of those things. So there's been a lot of reaction. Uh, Some of it very understandable and very normal and natural, some of it less so. And I, what do you have, what do you have to say about this, Karen? I have some intense feelings in places, (laughs) but 
But I do, I do want to start by saying I completely understand why people are upset and why people are concerned about the the way that this is going. Yeah, I get it. I mean, this does feel like they're uh, trying to to reroute resources from something that is actually bringing money in to take care of other problems, and um, that is that is concerning. That doesn't seem like. And I'm not a business major, but that doesn't seem like the smartest way to go about it. Um, I and I totally understand why people are are upset and frustrated, and I respect um, the opinions and the feelings of people who are pretty devastated by this news. I mean, I have watched a lot of TCM over the years. I really enjoy it. I, you know, my mom and I will go to um, the big screen classics that they do at the movies Fathom events. Has partnered with TCM for years. I've never made it to the festival, but you know, I mean, TCM is is a is a brand that has meant a lot to a lot of people, and it's sad to see it get kind of smashed the way that it has. Um, I think where and and I I just want to say like we totally understand where people are coming from and why people are so upset. I think what is concerning um, to both of us based on the conversations that we've had this week, but. But one of the things that I've been really um, bothered by is the way that the conversation has kind of morphed. And this is not the overall sentiment. This is like some very specific people who have been all over social media acting like this is the death of all classic film. No recognition of the fact that there are channels like Criterion that are still in Kino that are doing great work preserving and curating classics. And um and 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 making those things available and not just curating them but doing a lot of the same work that TCM has done um except for going a little deeper you know like we have other channels that are willing to interrogate the problems of classic films that are willing to like actually talk about why gone with the wind is a problematic movie instead of just like hey yeah there was some you know there's some some scandal but here we go we're gonna show it and it's great and we love it and that's the thing like so much of tcm has been about just celebrating this this love of old movies quote unquote um without really ever talking about the good and the bad and the ugly of them and so what we're seeing is what, what we've been seeing you and i this week um has been this this like faction of people and it's very much like the closest thing I can compare it to also with a Warner Brothers property is the Snyder bros who just are attacking everyone who is remotely like calling question to what they're talking about. And so mm-hmm. it's like you have this group of people who are just they they don't really understand classic film. They're talking about Zaslav as if he's the devil. And like, oh my gosh, Jack Warner would be turning in his grave. No, Jack Warner would be like, yeah, this is what we need to do. <laughs> like, they are very much the same. They're one and the same. And it's, so it's like you see these people who have, they love classic film, but they don't actually understand anything about old Hollywood. They don't understand anything about how show business has always been about business first. And and so it's been very frustrating to watch because it's very much this mentality of the sky is falling and mm-hmm. everything yeah. is terrible and we're never going to get to watch classic movies again. Now, for me, seeing this, um, I I am concerned about the message that it sends. 
um, not not what they're saying, the the message of like gutting TCM. To me, I think we have so many people, especially younger people now, who think that that classic film is not worth their time. They don't want to give it attention. They don't want to bother to watch it. They just want to watch all the new stuff. And I think that when you start gutting something as um, accessible as TCM, it does send the message that we also don't think that classic film is that important. So why would they bother to to engage with it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my concern comes in. But I think overall, people need to chill out and start supporting the Criterion channel, start supporting Kino, start supporting... Um, canopy and hoopla and going to mm-hmm. youtube and watching lots of stuff that's on the on on youtube for free um going to national film archives like like all of europe they have national film archives where you can stream a lot of their older stuff for free and um you know there's so many ways to still access these films that if people really care about the film and not just about the personality of tcm then there are so ways for them to access this and and and, and um, still be able to mm-hmm. to you know watch the classics and it's it's not just about the personality or the personalities of TCM it's you know it should be about so much more than that. I I absolutely agree with with everything that you're saying. It's um I think one of the things that I've that I've struggled with when it comes to TCM is is that combination of lack of context. And I do think that they've they've seemed to have made more of an effort in recent years to actually give films context. But, you know, I I remember when they were like, oh, we're going to show these problematic films and we're going to talk about them. And and I remember them like, you know, being like, oh, there's some problematic stuff and gone with the wind. But it's not that racist. Like that, (laughs) that was kind of the tone that they were using. And one of the things that I, I think that TCM has never really reckoned with is on the one hand, this, yes, it has absolutely given play to older films and particular types of older films and really given a great deal of attention to films that are not shown that much, um, that aren't, you know, really available in theaters or anything like that. And it has kind of given that more public attention. One of the things that's never completely reckoned with is its own very problematic role in what has been deemed essential classic films and what hasn't. Yeah, that Um, is very true. And and I, in fact, I, I think a year or so ago, I even wrote an article about this where they were talking, you know, they were doing these, you know, Gone with the Wind and all of these other films. And a lot of them were very obvious to me, right, in terms of, you know, bad representations of race, representations of gender, things like that. Um, and, you know, raising questions about those. And I think that that's completely legitimate. The problem was they weren't going any further than that. And they weren't, again, reckoning with that element of what TCM TCM's brand has done in terms of promoting films like Gone with the Wind or, uh, you know, Birth of a Nation or some or Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Right. So one of the things people always replay that, like Martin Scorsese clip, where he's like, oh, you know, to watch to watch a, a film in widescreen instead of pan scan. And the example is always Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Great. Absolutely. Yes, we should be watching films on widescreen because that's how they were filmed. Let's talk about the content of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yeah. Um, you know, let's so I, I think that one of the problems is exactly what you're saying is that there's been this romanticization of classic film and classic Hollywood. And we're talking about classic film. We're talking very much about a very actually a very narrow um, in terms of the entire world history of film. 
actually a very narrow kind of productions. We're really talking about classic Hollywood and that's been TCM's main focus. Um, they've stretched beyond that at times. And um, I think that should absolutely be lauded. And they, can, and they have, like I say, in recent years, tried to, to be more inclusive. But it's been very, very little. And for most of TCM's existence, it's been very much this romanticization and focus on this particular period of Hollywood history as let's, these are the essential films that you must have seen and very little interrogation of what those films are or their own role in establishing that those films are the essentials. Um, So I I think that there's a lot of, of things to be discussed there. And so one of my problems with some of the rhetoric that has been going on recently about this particular event is, is, as you said, this attitude of like, this is the only place to see classic films, period. Right. It's like, which is just not true. Um, And I think that in addition to saying like, you know, TCM should be preserved. Absolutely. 100% it should. We should also be telling people and noting for people, here are other places where you can experience these films. Um, yeah. Here's the Criterion Channel. Here's Canopy. Here's Hoopla. Here is YouTube. Right. Here are all of the various film archives. Here's the Internet Archive. There are a lot of different ways to watch and and find and experience classic films. I've been watching a whole bunch of films on Tubi of all places, mm-hmm. and they have and they have some of the most random shit. Like absolutely. Oh, yeah. But I was like, oh, that's a film with Ida Lupino and Louis Hayward that I have never seen. I have never even heard of it. I'm going to watch it. Right. And I do think that any classic film fan should be saying that should be saying like, you know, here are other places and other places to support and to get to experience these films. Um, I know that some of the complaint also about uh, about kind of the gutting of TCM is the fact that it, it is a it's a channel. Right. Um, it isn't a streaming service in the same way as like Criterion Channel, which means that you can turn on the television at like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday and find a film that you have never necessarily seen or rewatch a film that you have. And I think that some of the anguish there is actually a sh- is, is in part a resistance to the shift of general media consumption. Fewer people have cable channels, fewer people have television in the same way that we, that they did when I was a kid. Right. Um, and being a so like I have not had any kind of cable since I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So most of my experience of film has been through DVD, video, um, sometimes things that have been shown randomly on television, but and then and then eventually through streaming. So a lot of my so I am used to, I guess going out of my way to find certain things and um and not just you know being able to click on a television that the fact is that's the way that a lot of people experience media now across the board so to say like well i can't turn on the television at four o'clock in the afternoon it's just like well you know what sometimes i've turned on the television four o'clock in the afternoon to watch tcm when i was a teenager and you know what they were showing they were showing cool hand luke for the 500th time (laughs) yeah right so i there's there's a lot of stuff that is going into this. And, and I do think that people need to be more balanced and have a better understanding of the, the, the place that TCM has in the world, but also the problematics of it, that this is not just, 
you know, some villain like Warner Brothers coming in and gutting it. I don't I don't like what they're doing. I don't think that what they're doing is good. Like you, I think that they're undervaluing what they have. And mm-hmm. they do seem to be undervaluing classic film generally. And we talk a lot about classic film on this podcast. Um, at the same time, to say that this is antithetical to what Jack Warner or Louis B. Mayer or Samuel Goldwyn or Irving Thalberg or any of these guys who were running the studios back in, in the classical period um, were, were up to is bullshit. Jack Warner in, in himself was like, he did not give a damn. This was product to him. This was a a venue to make money. This was not about art. The fact that art got produced under his view uh, at Warner Brothers is like a it's it's a bug, not a feature, according to him. Um, And that's why a lot of those films, you know, have been forgotten. They still exist. We still watch them. Um, But there are you know, there are thousands of films that are not Casablanca. What? No. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah I, I i do i wish the people would be more balanced and i wish the people would also in addition to saying like we want tcm to stay absolutely here are all of the other places where you can experience these films and that you should support because if you don't support that then those places will go away too exactly so. and that's the thing and that's where for me it's like some of these folks that are complaining is it really about the movies or is it about the personalities? Do you just, are you just worried about not getting to see Ben Minkowitz, who I think is a lovely person? I know you have other opinions, but. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't care. That's part of it. Like, I don't care about, about the, the, the hosts explaining to me like who Tyrone Power was. Like, I just don't. Uh, yeah. And that's no, fine. I, that, that's totally me. Valid. That's me. Other people do. Cool. I don't mind. Um, I have no problem with that, but I want to, I want to watch the movie basically. Right. Um, and part and, of it is because honestly, I don't trust, I don't trust those hosts to actually mm-hmm. present the films in a more than superficial way. That's yeah. part of it, to be totally yeah. honest. And I would rather watch the film. And then if I want to read more about it, or I want to think about it more, I can read scholars on it or other critics on it. Not necessarily the person who is literally trying to convince me to watch the film on a television station <laughs> anyways yeah no i was just joking with that little jab <laughs> about about ben minkwitz but my thing though really truly is that some people claim that it's about classic film but really it's about you know seeing b Minks, seeing alicia malone seeing these folks mm-hmm. like in their living room all the time whenever they want and i think that is that is something that they need to to really consider is it really about the film or is it about the, do you feel like you're part of something else? I, you know, and that's these loud voices. It's like this, it, this is why I say that some of them are like this Snyder bros, where it's really not even necessarily about the films themselves. It's about feeling like something is being taken away from you personally. Yeah. It's, it's fandom. And, yeah. and I think that that's, I think that it's fair to be upset by, sure. by the potential of losing that fandom or by that fandom changing, but it also should not be stretched out into, um, you know, the, so some of, some of the, the rhetoric that has bothered me has been like, oh, this, it's this cultural heritage and public resource. And it's like, it isn't, it's a, it's a premium cable station yeah, that people this is absolutely pay a business. For. 
that people pay for and that a lot of people can't access. Like I can't watch TCM because I don't have cable and I, and I don't want to spend whatever $75 a month or $80 a month to get like YouTube TV or something like that. That's just not what I want to spend my money on. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and I, and so I think that there's like, okay, there's a difference between like a library or an archive, which is a public resource and what TCM is. Yeah. Um, and we really need to be aware of that. Yeah. What's funny is I do pay for a cable subscription. Well, a YouTube TV subscription because I like live sports. I like to watch The Bachelor, you know, like I have random stuff that I like to watch, you know, local news, things like that, that I can only really access by having a subscription. And I like to watch stuff that's on TCM, but I normally watch it through Max. I normally don't even watch it on YouTube TV. (laughs) Occasionally, well, if there's something that they're playing live that's not available in the Mm-hmm. in the on-demand but yeah <laughs> so that's that's Access our two cents obviously yeah. we are two people we have our own opinions about this stuff and none of this is to say that that like tcm should should be burned to the ground or anything like that um just like a little bit more balance in some of our reactions i think would be very it would actually be very helpful um in a lot of ways yeah and 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 to note that there are places to watch classic films and to experience classic films um, that are not solely this this one brand. Yeah. And really, people just need to calm down a little bit and not feel like everything is a personal attack on them. Sure. Maybe. Sure. Just a little. Just a little. Just a little. Just slightly. Uh, so now we're going to move on to some films that I just feel are a personal attack on me. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. One of them, maybe. I feel one of like one of them is a personal attack on me, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Um, so even though it came out before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> two years before I was born. Um, so we want to talk about Indiana Jones because Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth Indiana Jones film, uh and is, probably final, but we'll see. Is oh please God, is <laughs> going is going to be released. And we want to focus on the first three, the only three for me that exist. Um, but we want to focus on the first trilogy because I, I personally feel that this is a trilogy. This is like, this is, this is what, if there is an arc to Indiana Jones, it's these three films. Um, and of course those, those three films are Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and The Last Crusade. Those are the only three films of Indiana Jones that exist. There is no fourth one. Uh, we are (laughs) questioning whether or not there's a fifth one, but we will see. Um, and, and so, yeah, just these three films, just these. So, Karen, what's your first experience of Indiana Jones? We did this with Star Wars. Let's do let's do this with Indiana Jones. What was your first like memory of of this this franchise? So, my first memory was um, my parents took us to the drive-in. It was 1981. I was four years old, and uh, we used to go to the drive-in a lot. The Mission Drive-in, which later became the Mission Tiki, which just closed like a few months ago, and I was devastated because i knew it was coming but i didn't find out until like the weekend that it was happening and i was out of the country and i couldn't go like for one last movie i was so sad but anyway that's beside the point um but uh yeah so it was the mission drive-in and they did a double feature and it was raiders of the lost ark and if memory serves the other one was was a superman movie but i could be wrong about that anyway i didn't i don't remember specific 
details of that first time I watched it other than the um, the boulder <laughs> rolling uh, after him and you know and obviously the face melting that that sticks with you but um but other than that like it just I just remember being completely captivated and loving this movie and just finding it so much fun and then you know over the years we had you know we had a copy of it at home I watched it so many times and it just was a regular rotation in our house and I I just I always loved the character of Indiana Jones um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was older that I realized, you know, he's kind of an asshole, but <laughs> that just made me in a weird way, you know, probably uh, need to talk to my therapist way. Like, I don't like him more. <laughs> <laughs> I I do want to talk about the fact that Indiana Jones is a bit of a dumbass, um, yeah. but but just a little bit of a himbo in some ways. Um, oh, totally. <laughs> he definitely was sleeping with students. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah, we got it. All right. We'll we'll discuss that in a minute. Um, I, I, I will say, so my first experience of Indiana Jones, I was not alive when the first two Indiana Jones films came out. <laughs> um, so I was not alive in 1981 when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. However, when I got a little bit older, um, I remember, uh, I don't need, I have no idea how old I was. I was, I must've been fairly small, but I remember being at a KOA campground in somewhere in the Southwest. My parents and I used to travel in the Southwest when I was a, a small child. <laughs> and they were showing like an outdoor movie, basically at the campground. They were showing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. And my parents were like, oh, this is perfect. Lauren will love this. It's an exciting film. Indiana Jones movie. Great. Amazing. Wonderful. Face melted. <laughs> I had a breakdown. <laughs> my my mom had to like walk me away because I the literally the only thing that I remember about Raiders of the Lost Ark is face melting. That's it. That's what happened in the film you were as far old? as I was concerned. I I I would have to ask my parents like how old I was probably about four, maybe okay. five. So um, we saw it about the same age, just you know, a <laughs> couple years apart. <laughs> And, and like, do, I remember, I do remember my, I think it was my dad trying to explain to me that it was okay that their face melted because they were bad and a Nazi. <laughs> but that, that did not register with me at any level. Like all I saw is just like that thing made that man's face melt off. <laughs> so that is, that was my strongest memory of Indiana Jones for a long time. Then I, I did, I got a little bit older and obviously I was like, oh, it's okay. Cause they're Nazis. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Nazis faces deserve to be melted off all and, the time. They deserve it. And that particular dude, like he's, a, he's terrible and he, he did deserve to have his face melted off. I think it was the whole concept of, first of all, that your face could melt. And <laughs> second of all, that, that this was like the will of God, right? That God did this. Yeah. They open the ark and God like vengeance sweeps down upon them. Right. It's, <laughs> and it is a scary scene. Like I still think that it's a pretty scary scene. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that Spielberg is very, very good at is that kind of, and particularly in these films is that kind of horror, that sort of like that moment of just like, holy shit, that's scary. Yeah. Um, and, and building up to it really, really well. So yeah, my, my memory of Raiders of the Lost Ark for the, for a very long time was just face melted and I had a breakdown. That's um, so funny. <laughs> So let's start with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm not going to, 
I, I, I'm going to assume that everybody who's listening to this has seen these films. So you do not need me to summarize the various Indiana Jones movies. Um, this is the one where Indiana Jones fights Nazis and uh, Marion Ravenwood is there. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it is so but, fun. But let's talk about the character of Indiana Jones, because I he is an interesting character, actually. And in rewatching these films this time around, um, there were points where I was like, I he's what a he's like a dick. Like Indiana Jones <laughs> is a dick. Um, and and he is. And I think I think that that's kind of baked into the character a little bit, that he's he's very arrogant. Um, he very much believes in what he's doing for good and ill. And he's kind of dumbass, like he fucks up a lot. And that's actually one of the things that I think is very endearing about his character in a lot of ways, that he is this this badass, you know, archaeologist slash adventurer who's like fighting with his whip and his gun and all of this. And then sometimes he just like falls flat on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it that that can be really enjoyable to watch at the same time. It kind of it humanizes him. It lets him be, you know, he isn't a superhero. He gets beat up. He He's bloody. He's hurt. Um, he actually, like, he screws things up sometimes. People tell him that he screws things up. And I, I think that that can be very endearing about the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, he's not perfect. He's not this, like, larger, th- well, he's sometimes a little bit larger than life just because of some of the things that he's able to get himself out of or that he's able to do but he's he's got this human quality where he he messes things up and that that is endearing um it it makes you root for him it always feels like there's stakes he could get shot he could get you know foiled and you know things could happen to him along the way he can lose people because of his own you know bravado or um or ego and I think that all makes for a very well-rounded, interesting character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he like you say, he isn't perfect. And um, and Indiana Jones, like a lot of the these films, really do owe a lot to um, obviously kind of the serials of the 1930s and 40s mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, are very much that you know, it's it's kind of those boys' own adventure stories, right? Um, where, you know, like, we're going to steal this idol from a a temple in Peru, we're going to find the Ark of the Covenant, you know, all of those things. It's very much, um, it's very much embedded in that era of filmmaking and for, for good and ill. And I think when we talk about Temple of Doom, I think you have to talk about the other side of that. Um, and of course, one of the joys of Indiana Jones is the fact that he punches Nazis. Like he's always fighting the Nazis in two out of the three films um yeah he is like the main villains are the nazis and people who are allied with the nazis right i want to go back really quickly though to talk about the the inspiration for this being those Mm -hmm. like saturday serials because that's something that um that i think makes these movies so fun it's like raiders of the lost ark ended up an oscar nominated movie which was kind of by accident they weren't setting out to make something like you know important quote unquote for the oscars they just wanted to make a movie that was really fun and entertaining like a big action movie action adventure which we just don't get enough of action adventure movies anymore but um but that's what they were looking for and and they accomplished that and it's because i think it came from this time where you know people just had and i'm not saying that they don't now but 
like this was like in Spielberg and George Lucas's heyday where they were just making movies for the love of making movies. And that's Mm -hmm. why so many of the early Spielberg films are so good because he hadn't gotten caught up in his own press at the time. He hadn't gotten caught up in like this idea that everything he had to do was, you know, for something bigger than the, the movie or that particular project itself. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really like just on the subject of the serials themselves, one of the things I really like about Indiana Jones, like I kept for some reason this week when I was rewatching the the trilogy, um, I kept thinking about that line from, it's going to sound so funny, the line from Misery where <laughs> Annie Wilkes is yelling at um, James Conn. I can't think of the character's name now. Uh, Paul and she's talking about how she used to love going to the serials when she was a kid and um, I mean that movie is all about toxic fandom it's pretty funny but um, anyway she's describing this one particular one that she that she watched and she starts describing that you know last week you you know this character who was about he was stuck in a car and he was about to go over the cliff and then all of a sudden he's just out of the car he didn't he never got out of the cocky duty car and I was just thinking about with Indiana Jones, what I love is that even when they don't specifically show how he escapes a situation, they always set it up so that you can see that there is an out. There is some way for him to get out of these situations. So it's like mm-hmm. it lends to this. Um, it, it, it's part of what I think keeps Indiana as a character grounded because he's not a superhero and you never get the sense that he is like he does get wounded. He does get hurt. But he also is always in situations that he can find some way to get out of it. Yeah, and and I, I I agree. I think that part of what makes the action in the films work so well is that they set up these fantastic chase scenes, fight scenes, etc. And a lot of his responses, so like the the famous one where he he the guy who's brandishing the swords. And he just pulls his gun yeah. and shoots him, right? And of course, we know that that's because Harrison Ford had like dysentery at the time and was just <laughs> exhausted and didn't want to do it. Right. But it's so good. It's just like, yes, of course, you you wouldn't be like, ah, oh, now I'm going to fight you. It's just like, I have a gun and you know, like, and <laughs> and it's it's really effective and it's very much in keeping with, with the character. But yeah, I, I like the fact that when he gets out of those things, when he jumps free of the 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 tank at the last moment and things like that it it makes sense and he you do see the injury you see the fact that he's exhausted you see the fact that he's hurt Mm -hmm. um but that he keeps on he keeps on surviving and so it balances out that those sort of serial adventures with a certain degree of reality um uh, of kind of asking the question well well at the same time you know essentially being like this is a adventurer slash archaeologist who solves puzzles and goes tomb raiding basically in his free time um, (laughs) when he really should be teaching class but i i like i like that that balance of that adventure and then also that reality yeah exactly and i think that's part of why they work is because of the fact that there is that that element where it's grounded in reality well, and and you know, in a lot of ways, you're like, it, of course, Indiana Jones is going to get out of this, but how is he going to get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. What is, and, and it isn't just going to be like someone swoops in from above and picks him up and carries him off, right? He's going to get out of it in some like ridiculously um, amazing way that is all, that also makes a great deal of sense. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's always exciting. And it's always backed by that amazing John Williams score. I think, I think the Indiana Jones scores are some of my favorites of all the work that he's done. Well, it's that, it's that kind of, it's that adventuresome. I don't know. Like the, the mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but you hear that and you're just like, yes, he is going to ride off into the sunset now. <laughs> and that, that is part of what makes those films so much fun. Um, is is that that kind of bravado i guess yeah uh and it yeah it's it's very very well done so i i do i like raiders of the lost ark um a great deal and i do have to say one of the things that makes you know talking about the the nazis one of the things that makes i think both raiders and the last crusade so good is that there is no punching down they're like when you have the villains, when the villains are the Nazis, you're just like, okay, it doesn't matter what you do them. So guys fell face melts off. Sure. Fine. I'm fine with that. He was a bad Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like the fact that, that in the, in those two films in particular, that there is this sense of like the not the Nazis are just bad and we can perfectly enjoy anything bad that happens to them. Um, because they're the nazis you know something that oh sorry no go on well i was gonna say something that occurred to me this week on that subject on that subject when i was watching raiders of the lost ark i don't think i've ever really noticed before i always just kind of was like yeah belloc's aligned with the nazis he's a bad guy which he very much is but somehow i had always missed a lot of the signs that belloc himself is probably jewish and um that if he hadn't done some of the things that he does at the end world war ii would probably never have happened because hitler wouldn't have invaded poland because hitler probably would have been dead or at least all his senior leadership would have been dead (laughs) (laughs) well there there is that argument about raiders of the lost ark you know that that indiana jones doesn't actually affect the outcome right um which there are also arguments against that as well but that's that's an interesting observation that um because (laughs) here's why i say that because there's a scene where belloc is talking to one of the german um officials i can't remember the name of that guy um but he's talking to them and they're supposed to take the ark straight to berlin once they've recovered it and belloc talks about how he wants to perform this jewish ritual and make sure that it's really real instead of just taking it straight to Hitler, because what do you think Hitler will do to you if it turns out that this isn't really, you know, what we're looking for? And that's why they go to that island. And that's why their faces get melted off. And if they if he had not been so insistent <laughs> on doing that, they would have taken that arc straight to Berlin. See, there you go. They just should have. Everybody should have t- taken a gigantic step back, just like, sure, take the ark, go for it. You have yeah. fun with it. <laughs> so it's probably a Jewish man who was responsible for World War II. I don't, where do you read Belloc is Jewish? Um, there's a couple of things. I actually looked af- afterwards. I was, looked it up because I was just like, am I reading this wrong? But it was something about specifically, um, well, well, where I got it was that he wanted to perform this Jewish ritual and he was very specific about that. And then what he's wearing and everything, I was just like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. It's not it's not um, it's not directly stated. It's just for me, I think that he probably was. See, see, I would read be. I I would read that as him kind of usurping 
the the Jewish which is also in, possible it's this, not confirmed yeah in this attempt to because the Ark of the Covenant is is a Jewish artifact right mm-hmm. um and it's about Jewish power and of course it's related then to to um the Nazis trying to to steal this 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 kind of Jewish power um that he's sort of because he is an archaeologist right so he would have some knowledge and, and particularly if you are an archaeologist who is a biblical archaeologist you regardless of your religious affiliation um you would have knowledge of jewish uh mm-hmm. jewish texts and christian texts etc so yeah i i don't know whether i would necessarily read that as as him being a actually being jewish although if you could read him as jewish it would be interesting then because it overlays this sort of this jewish person who is betrayed um, exactly. his own people and is betraying his own people to the Nazis in in part of his quest for ultimate power, right? Right, which is probably part of why it's never spelled out for sure one way or the other. Because they, the film doesn't, the film itself isn't going to take the time to go into all of that. Yeah. And so, yeah. But but the film does take the time, and I and I think that this this is probably a good segue into um into Temple of Doom. The film the film does take the time to actually really establish a deep understanding of the meaning behind like Jewish mysticism, uh, the the importance of the Ark mm-hmm. and the power of God, and it's something that comes back then with the Last Crusade, which is obviously a Christian christian artifact but also jewish in a certain sense because a lot of it is about um it's about that kind of the the confluence between the old and the new testament as it were right um but i i think that that's where spielberg and lucas do their best work is when they're actually dealing with elements that elements of religion and of this kind of combination of religion and mysticism and um magic right that they really understand at an intrinsic level and that's mm-hmm. why I think one of the reasons why Temple of Doom works so badly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, be, well, actually, before we go on to Temple of Doom, uh, I do want to mention Marion Ravenwood because Karen Allen deserves all the kudos. Oh, um, yeah, she does. One of the things that I really like in the Anna Jones films is actually, you know, this kind of talking about him as being this arrogant dumbass. Um he works best when he has someone playing off of him who kind of calls him out on some of that. Yeah. And that happens again in the last crusade in a slightly different way. But Marion in particular, even though she loves him, um, Marion is still just like, you're full of shit half the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that, I think that's needed as kind of a balance to his characterization that it yeah. isn't just about people who like, you know, completely idolize him or think he's great. It's like, you're also an idiot. Yeah. Well, and part of why Marion is so great is other than the fact that she's played by the first famous person I ever knew that had my same name. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, what I love about Marion is you get the sense without ever meeting her father, we never meet her father because he's dead by the time Raiders starts. But um, you get the sense that she fell in love with someone who's a lot like her dad. And so she kind of got dragged around the world chasing after stuff. Just like what's great is that that puts her in a position where she's had a lot of like her entire, you know, life, I think has kind of made her someone who is able to, to stand up to him and to tell him when he's full of shit, because 
she's she's seen it forever she saw it in her dad Mm -hmm. and and so i think that she's she's such a perfect match for him because of that so because she does know when he's talking out of his ass she does know when he doesn't know what to do and when he's just being an idiot and Mm -hmm. And and she just has that personality where she's willing to call it out, too. She's not just going to go along with it just because she has googly eyes for him. Yeah, and, and I, I really like that about her. And I and that doesn't that doesn't really show up in any of the other leading ladies that he has over the course of the other films. Right. Um, and there's barely I mean, the woman in um, Dr. Schneider in uh, um, Holy Grail is barely a leading lady because she's a bad guy. At one point. Yeah, she's a femme fatale. <laughs> um so yeah so it's, it's a very different relationship but um i think that that also leads us very well into temple of doom um which we do not have to spend a great deal of time on because i have so many complaints about it and i don't want to just go on and on about how much i hate temple of doom but i hate temple of doom mm-hmm. uh i i do think there's i am not bothered by the darkness of, of, of the plot um it is definitely less of a kids movie in a lot of ways but oh, yeah. i think that that can be um I think that's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Uh, what what bothers me about Temple of Doom is the fact that no matter how you cut it, it is very racist and it is very sexist. And in rewatching it this time, I actually watched this one first, and that's why I was kind of like, "Do I hate Indiana Jones? I really hope I don't." <laughs> um, and but it was because I, I'd only seen this film once, and I just remember not particularly liking it, but otherwise otherwise not much else about it in watching it just like i i want to say that kate capshaw is innocent and i kind of hope that she is because a lot of it really is the script i do not know anyone who would have been able to play that part and not be the most annoying person on the planet um and and part of it is because it's it's stupid it's this very easy sexist jokes she's really she's primarily there to be a damsel in distress and to be kind of mocked by by indiana jones for a large section of the film um you know and and i finally i was finally like that's it this is bullshit i can't do this um when at one point she's like oh what kind of birds are those it's like oh honey those are bats it's just like that is the dumbest fucking joke that is like a nine-year-old boy's idea of what girls are And the fact that it is in a film made by grown ass men and that it's meant to be funny at some level, I was just like, this is, this is bad. This is stupid. This isn't funny. Right. Um, So, and and again, I think that you're going back to someone like Marion, when you have that conflict um, that is there between Marion and Indiana Jones, where she does call him out for his dumbassery. And I think they kind of try to do that with Willie in Temple of Doom, but because she's been established as being this kind of ditzy, foolish comic relief in a lot of ways, there's no place to go with that character. You don't buy it when she does call him out on some of his shit. Um, and so there, there's a lack of balance there. And, and I, I think that that balance could have been maybe redressed a little bit with Short Round. But again, Short Round respects Indiana Jones so much and thinks he's the the greatest person on the planet that that there is there continues to be that lack of balance um that there isn't anyone to sort of challenge him at that level within like within the characterization so i'm i was very much bothered by that in rewatching this film yeah um not a defense at all because there's not defending it 
and like this movie does have a lot of problems it is very sexist it is very racist um it's one of those movies where like sometimes even despite the problems you can be like well but there's still things about this that are fun and that i enjoy and for me that's kind of what it is and i think a lot of that has to do with the nostalgia aspect of it you know i loved short round when i was a kid i still do i still love kikwan he's the sweetest but um but uh, i think too one of the things that is interesting about what an absolute asshole uh indy is in this movie is that it takes place the year before raiders of the lost ark so it's all mm-hmm. so it can be viewed as like yeah this is before he goes through a lot of growth even though i don't want to give them that much credit because you're right like the jokes are bad they're so uh, juvenile and um and I, I can't give them credit of like oh yeah they were looking at this as like you know this is before he he kind of matured because that's not they weren't thinking that way um i'm sure they weren't yeah exactly you can't well that's that's the thing you can't be thinking that way when part of when like a sight gag is kate capture being unable to get on an elephant properly or something like that like that's not that's nothing that indiana jones is doing that's just like haha look at the stupid incompetent woman right right exactly and it's so strange to me that spielberg ended up marrying kate capshaw years later um (laughs) and they're still married um but yeah it just it's yeah it's not a good movie it's but and and i actually remember when i was a kid i did not like it the first time i saw it because it was scary it was so much scarier than raiders of the lost ark to me um because of the fact that it is so much darker but but as an adult i'm like Mm -hmm. man this it's so clear that like with like what you were saying with Raiders of the Lost Ark and with The Last Crusade, those being really founded in Jewish and Christian faith traditions, mm-hmm. and this one being founded in a Hindu tradition, like it's really clear where their knowledge is so limited to. Because there's a lot of stuff about the history here where it's so surface level about the religion and what's really going on that that contributes to the plot and it's because and i think overall that's why this movie just it doesn't work nearly as well as the first and the third because it's just not the story isn't as personal to them either yeah it it feels intentionally or not it, it feels actually a lot more like those colonial films of the 1930s and 40s yeah. and um i was unsurprised when i i saw that this film was in, in part inspired by the film gunga din um, which is a 1940s film and is very much a colonial film. Um, but it's it's one of those times where, and in watching this, I was like, you know what? In the 30s and 40s, I can somewhat close one eye and pretend that, 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 that certain things aren't happening because they're, I think part of it is because of historical distance and because you almost expect it from those kinds of films. Like, I'm not going to yeah. sit down and watch Gunga Din and think like, oh, this is going to be a... a beacon of enlightened uh, understanding of the indian culture right um, but when you're making a movie in 1984 you don't get exactly. to fall on the excuse of but this is set in 1935 it's like no yeah it is but you're making it in 1984 exactly so like the whole thing about a ritual sacrifice human sacrifice eating monkey brains like all of those things so much of it just just reads to me as lazy and and i don't necessarily say that you can't make a film like like this um in a much more understanding and comprehensive way there 
part of it is that you can't get away from the fact that Indiana Jones is set up as this white savior. Um, you can't get away from the fact that the fucking British army are the heroes at the end. They're the cavalry that shows up. Right. In India. Uh, Good job, guys. In India. Yeah. Exa- well, exactly. And and it's just like, okay, all of this is very much in keeping with colonial films of that period. Mm-hmm. But it's not criticizing it at any level because the Indiana Jones films aren't set up to criticize that. Right. Um, which is fine. But that's why the this particular film doesn't work. And is actually, like I say, actually gets to be offensive because you're like, oh yeah, look, look at this, the stupid, um, the stupid Hindus. You know, that's basically what they're doing. There isn't that de- that depth level of understanding or of respect, right? And part of it is that you feel in Raiders of the Lost Ark this re- this underlying respect for what the Ark represents in Jewish history and in Jewish um, mythos. You understand mm-hmm. what the Holy Grail represents in Christian mythos. What happens in Temple of Doom has absolutely no respect for the culture that is being represented, has no understanding for the the different kinds of spirituality or for resistance to the British Raj, you know, all of those things that kind of have to come in there. And that honestly, I think need filmmakers who understand that at some level, Um None of that is there. So it does it does become just this colonial, it's a remake of Gunga Din, right? It becomes yeah. this this very colonial understanding of something that I'm just like, you know what? I, I've seen the Black Watch and I absolutely know where this is going. And it's offensive. Yeah. Well, and and especially just to tap into what you were just saying, like when you consider the fact that regardless of um where people stand religiously. Uh, we know that the Ark of the Covenant was a thing that existed, regardless of whether it was something that was, you know, um, um, like actually part like from God or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with the Holy Grail. Like Jesus was a person who lived. He was a person who was executed by the Romans. Um, so the Grail, whether it was holy or not, it's a thing that existed. These these are real. The Sankara stones in Temple of Doom, totally made up, complete fiction. Well, and and that's that's the thing. I'm certain that I don't know enough about Indian or Hindu history, right? I am certain that there are artifacts and things like that that have cultural, historical, social, mm-hmm. religious significance that they could have actually used as a part of this and integrated it. But that's the thing. It would have to be integrated more thoroughly, more clearly, and much less from a white perspective. Right. In order for it to work. And I, I don't think I honestly do not think that it can work in an Indiana Jones film because the whole ethos of Indiana Jones is just just doesn't work with something that is outside of the experience of its own filmmakers. Right. Um, yep. Agreed. So, so, yeah, it, it's it's a very difficult film to watch. I do not agree with anyone who's just like, oh, it's actually the best Indiana Jones film. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not because are crazy it, if they say that. Yeah, it does. It doesn't address the problems <laughs> that are at the core of this film. And the problem is not darkness or violence or anything like that. The problem is racism and sexism. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so let's move on from Temple of Doom, unless you have anything let's else do. you want to say about that. <laughs> no, let's talk about Last Crusade. This. OK, so Last Crusade is my favorite favorite i think of the three films and that is almost entirely to do with sean connery (laughs) um going back to that whole marion raven would we have to balance out indy i think that connery 
and Harrison Ford play off of each other so well. They're so believable as father and son. I add, I look at Sean Connery with his thick Scottish accent and I'm still just like, yes, that father would have that son and that would be their relationship. And it's so it, funny that there's only 12 years between them. <laughs> and Sean Connery wasn't even 60 yet when they did this movie. <laughs> I well, I I like the fact someone mentioned actually, uh, actually earlier today on Twitter, like, um, you know, of course the only the only person who would be cooler than Indiana Jones would be James Bond, and then yeah. you've got Sean Connery in like this tweedy vest and this little hat, you know, running around with his <laughs> umbrella, <laughs> and and he's adorable. He's funny. He's like he's absolutely believable as this kind of not adventuring professor or anything. He's like the guy who sits in a library forever um and never wants to go out and like do anything who's fair and who like disapproves of his son's swearing and of violence of like all these like he gets these expressions on his face when indy has done something cool that it's just like i certainly disapprove of what you just did there boy (laughs) (laughs) but what's so funny is um in in raiders of the lost ark um one of the scenes where indy is with his students and he's talking about um research and he says some I don't I don't remember if he says a percentage or if he just says most of um, archaeology has done it in the library. And then in the in the last crusade, he's talking to his class and he's like, don't he, like when he's oh, no, no, sorry. It wasn't in the last crusade. It was in the other one that didn't exist. He makes a comment to his <laughs> students about you got to get out of the library. But here you have his dad who spends most of his time in the library studying. He doesn't get out and and you know go tomb raiding like his son. <laughs> he's you know yeah and and has spent his entire life in pursuit of the holy grail right mm-hmm. has has been on this like quest forever basically to find where the holy grail could actually be located and then and of course we've got the nazis are back the nazis are there to cause difficulties and to be assholes um this does feature some great scenes of punching nazis which i think is always a lot of fun even more so than raiders of the lost ark yep uh um yeah i i just i think that that connery and and ford balance out each other so well and play so well off of each other that it's just fun to watch the two of them and and to also watch kind of the building of their relationship and the and the conflict between between the pair of them, this whole thing about like different approaches to history and to archaeology and um, and and to the fact that, you know, by the end of the film, essentially, Indiana is still is still a treasure hunter in a lot of ways. And his father is kind of like, you need to stop hunting for the treasure. You need to let it go. Yeah. Um, and be willing to let it go. And I think it's so wonderful and so effective and and has a, actually a very good emotional arc in within the context of this um, fun, exciting, brilliantly paced film. Yeah. Well, I love that it's, it you know, in that moment, because he's just has been trying to rescue Ilsa, um, who wanted to grab the art or the, the grail. And then here it is, his father, who, um, I mean, this this item, this object is the reason that the two of them never really had much of a relationship because his father was so obsessed with it. And here it is, his dad is the one telling him to let it go. Mm -hmm. And I I just I one of the things that I love about 
The Last Crusade is that as much as it is a fun adventure movie about, you know, this crusade to find the grail, it's also just a really sweet father-son story, too, about reconnecting. And um, and I think that Harrison Ford and Sean Connery just do such a great job with that part of the story, too. Yeah, they they play off of each other really well. And there's some uh, I, I think my dad tends to repeat <laughs> tends to repeat to me the line. Um, you left just as you were getting interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but like all of those things where you begin to see you be you see like why Indiana is so pissed off at his dad mm-hmm. and and at the same time like the world that his dad like looks at and the way that he looks at the world and, and the way that both of them do and how that's that's allied but antithetical in places as well yeah. um i i do like the fact that you know there's there's this whole thing where you know uh, indiana's is constantly being like okay we've got to pursue the map and we've got to pursue brody and he's saying like no we have to go back to berlin and get my get my diary because there's more in the diary than just the map right Mm -hmm. the the nazis think all you need is this treasure map right but you need more than that you need to understand what is actually what you're actually going to be facing and it's ultimately what saves him right what enables him to to pass all the different tests right and uh and and get to the get to the grail and so it's it's a wonderful balance um, and definitely shows that, you know, Indiana Jones is at his best when, best when balanced out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he needs someone that can call him out, that can balance him, that can keep him grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and he needs to punch Nazis. <laughs> and like I say, there's a lot of Nazi punching. Like uh, th- this one has some of the best action, I think, in all three of the films. Mm-hmm. um just believable action but also like that conflict between the horses and the camels and the tanks and like all of it is just, it's really well choreographed it's really well arranged and it's very satisfying to just watch Harrison Ford beat the shit out of a bunch of Nazis yeah it's also fun to watch his library bound dad figure out ways to to get out of things too like when he mm-hmm. opens up his umbrella and gets the birds up in the sky to go after <laughs> the plane and stuff like that like when he when he kind of he's bumbling he he you know kind of messes stuff he burns the room that they're in um <laughs> on accident but uh but he also just figures stuff out too because he's also a smart guy but yeah. yes it's i fun. i do i love it when he shoots the wing of the plane oh my gosh or the the fin of the plane with the yes. because i am i honestly like whenever i watch movies that have that kind of an aircraft in them just like how do you not shoot the back of your own plane like right. you have to really know what you're doing uh-huh. and then he's like son i'm sorry they got us <laughs> It's great. Yeah. Um, uh, this is the opening of this movie always makes me sad about all the movies that River Phoenix never mm-hmm. got to make. Um, and what that was such great casting. This was before they did the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, where they cast um, Sean Patrick Flannery to play that age of Indiana Jones on TV, and um, like just fun casting, fun choice uh, at the time. Actually, it's funny because Harrison Ford and River Phoenix played father and son in the Mosquito Coast, I think. Um, yeah, or, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of funny that now he's playing the young version of him. But uh, anyway, I just shout out to River Phoenix. He's he's very good. I like that opening. It's um, Such it a does. Great opening. 
it's a great opening, but it does begin to slide into what I think is is pro- gets to be problematic in um and then the the fourth film, which I which we don't talk about. Uh but, but that's sort of, <laughs> that sort of creation of the Indiana Jones mythos, like where did he get his hat? Where did he get his whip? Where did he uh you know where oh how did he become afraid of snakes you know all of those things that are like oh we we have these cute little callbacks and easter eggs and while i think they work in the last crusade it is beginning to build up that sort of stopping to it stops being about a character and becomes about our recognition of the facets of that character yeah um and and that's it, it becomes, it, and then it turns into, you know, kind of these legacy sequels or um, or the sensation of like the character stops being real and starts becoming just an, an image. Yeah, it's one of the overall dangers of doing prequels is, um, is that there's this tendency of like, oh, well, we have to explain everything. This is one of the frustrating things that happened with the Solo movie, a movie that I overall enjoyed. But it's so bogged down in trying to explain why his last name is Solo and, you know, like all kinds of of little mm-hmm. things that it feels the need to explain that don't need to be explained. Like, just let let me see the the story of when he was young, but without trying to feed me every detail of of how this all came to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what, what about the hat? It's just like he likes the hat. It's a nice yeah. hat. Like, it's, it's a, a hat, hat that he, he looks cool. <laughs> like. Yeah. I, I do I want I want I do want more characters to be like why do you why does he dress like that we have to have an entire backstory no he dresses like that because he thinks it looks cool that's why exactly <laughs> exactly so um I will say that I'm only gonna say that I have I'm not gonna talk about it but I will say that I have seen the dial of destiny um no spoilers although people who enjoy watching Indiana Jones punch Nazis may not be super disappointed cool yeah all right well you know punch <laughs> the more punch and nazis i i am always down for that uh the other film that we that does not exist uh does not need to be discussed uh <laughs> although kate blanchett man <laughs> well kate blanchett is fantastic in everything yeah that that like i think that was one of the few times where i was just like okay fine kate blanchett yeah cool and then mm-hmm. everything else just did not happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's not a good movie guys like it just isn't (laughs) no you know it's funny though because a little bit similar to not the same but a little bit similar to my feelings toward temple of doom where it's like this isn't a good movie but there are some sequences that are fun to watch and so overall Mm -hmm. it's like well you know i can still watch this movie it's not like i want it to burn it burn it down but it's not it's not great it's not good (laughs) (laughs) Um, but all of the Indiana Jones films are available to watch on um, Dis- Disney Plus and the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles TV show. Yes. So you can watch everything to do with Indiana Jones and have a great time. And definitely if you have if it's been a while since you've rewatched Last Crusade, like I highly recommend rewatching Last Crusade. If you can Seriously. just watch one of these films that I think that one I, I would still still push for it being the best. You know, I didn't used to i used to just think i kind of had it tied with the raiders of the lost ark but no i think you're right i think i think last crusade is better it's an overall better movie i do after all that complaining that i just did about like you don't have to explain everything about about these characters i do love the explanation of his name 
Yes, uh, that is because, great. because funny. It's, yeah, it's so funny, and just the way that it's kind of dropped in there, it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's like what? A, what is this junior? That's his name, Henry Jones <laughs> Junior. The dog. <laughs> you're named the after Solid just teases. You're him named about. after the dog. <laughs> Oh, I love Sala. <laughs> but see, that that is actually like a great origin story. Just like it doesn't have any real meaning. Just like he he took on a name of the dog that he loved when he was a kid. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like you find out this fact of like that's why he's called Indiana, but he doesn't even explain why he why he chose to go by the dog's name, you know, (laughs) which is kind of funny that he chose his dog's name instead of his father's, Mm -hmm. but, (laughs) but you don't have to get into all of the why it's just the funny joke there. Yes, exactly. And it's a, it's a fantastic ending. And then they ride off into the sunset and it's all over. That's it. And that was the end. No more Indiana Jones. He lived happily ever after. Uh, So any (laughs) final thoughts on, on Indiana Jones before we close this out? Just that they're really fun and you mm-hmm. should watch them again if you haven't lately. Yes, and if you but... have somehow not listened or not watched them ever and you've listened to this whole episode, what are you doing? Go watch them now. Right now. <laughs> so much fun. So much fun. So fun. Uh, so, so I think that that will close us out for this week. We will be off next week um, in celebration of the 4th of July. And, and also- Tom Cruise's birthday. And Tom Cruise's birthday. And Patrick and also, Wilson's birthday. And also because we need a break. Uh, yes, that too. <laughs> so, but then we will be back the week after that and we'll have more fun things to talk about. Um, so as always, we would like to extend a very big thank you to our patrons who include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. If you want to join their number, our Patreon is patreon.com slash citizen dame. You will get um, fun little things like buttons and stickers. And uh, you also get episodes early, get some bonus episodes. We should have a bonus episode coming up before long. Um, and, And also just get to support us. All of the money goes to like hosting our website um and hosting our podcast and and being certain we can keep the lights on so thank you so much to our patrons and uh, please join them if you can we also have a zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi ko-fi.com slash citizen dame if you want to leave us uh, a little review a five-star mark on itunes on spotify anywhere that you listen to us just to kind of give us a boost share our podcast Say like, yay, we're great. Uh, If you don't like us, why are you listening to us? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Uh, listens or listens. That's all I'm going to say. Hey, listens or listens. But please don't, please give us, give us your love. That's what, that's what I'm going for here. Yes. Um, Our website is citizendamepod.com and we have reviews up. I've got my reviews from Tribeca Film Festival up there. Some really weird shit that I saw this year. Uh, and, and Karen has a review of flaming hot that just came out and a couple of other things up there. So definitely check out our website. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us that citizen at gmail.com. If you are a patron, you can also message us on uh, Patreon and we will get them through there as well. Um, 
And we are on all of the various socials. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. And our letterbox is at Citizen Dame, where we have lists and links to our website and links to our various podcasts. So definitely check that out. And you can get in touch with us individually. I am on the various socials um, at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. And what did you find, Junior? Junior? Dad? Please, what does it always mean? This, this Junior? That's his name. Henry Jones Junior. Like Indiana. We named the dog Indiana. Maybe go home now, please. The dog? <laughs> you are named after the dog? <laughs> got a lot of fond memories of that dog. Ready? Ready? Indy, Henry, follow me! I know the way! Ha! Got lost in his own museum, huh? Uh-huh. After you, Junior. Yes, sir. Ha!